Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Let us start on a positive note. Now, we got whumped for the second time in a week with, you know, monster snowfall. The weather people who we make fun of from time to time for their bust forecast, they, they pretty much nailed this one. If anything, it was a little bit understated, but just a little bit understated. They got it as to when it was going to start. They essentially got the duration. They got it as to when it was going to end. So, I mean, kudos to the weather people. But more importantly than that, kudos to all the folks that are out there driving the snow plows, cleaning out the roads. Because, again, I say this all the time, we do snow well here. And given all the snow that came down, given the duration of the snow, it is amazing how passable the roads are today. Now, I understand if you live in a cul-de-sac or you're trying to get through maybe an alley in the city of Milwaukee and that hasn't been plowed to people's satisfaction, I, I understand that there's going to be cases like that. But in general, when you're talking about the, the main roads, whether it's the freeways or the main highways or the main routes of traffic, I, I think... They've done a very, very good job. And I will tell you, there are a lot of areas, there's a lot of communities that if, if you got six, eight, ten inches of snow on top of, you know, six or seven or eight inches of snow a couple of days earlier, those communities would be absolutely paralyzed. And, and we're not. So kudos to all the people that were out there plowing the snow and salting the roads. Um, it. It could have been a lot worse. And again, if you're saying, well, I'm still, I can't get through my alley or whatever, they'll get to you. They'll get to you. But we got a lot of snow and they did it well. If you don't believe me, just listen to the reports that you're going to get out of the East Coast over the course of the next couple of days with the, the snowstorm that has now moved there. And, and you're going to be hearing reports in part because it's the East Coast and that's where the media is centered. And so whenever something happens in New York or Philadelphia or Boston, it gets a lot more attention than if it happened in flyover country but mark my words you're going to be hearing stories for the next three days about trying to dig out from the snowfall and we're here we are essentially dug out so credit to the dpw for doing their job i got an interesting text from one of our listeners who lives in ozaki county and there's I want to tell you her story, but it, but it's actually this larger story about these covid vaccines and why it shouldn't be as difficult as it is. And I do think it is fair to criticize the powers that be who have known that a vaccine was going to be coming for, I don't know, the better part of eight or nine or ten months. I mean, ever since we started the, the whole COVID pandemic and we started dealing with ways to try to keep people inside so you didn't have it spreading, all those plans were in place till we could get a vaccine you know, coming. So you would think that for the last nine or ten months, we would be making plans to have the orderly distribution of vaccine. Well, you would have thought that, but that has not been the case. Here, here's the text, and this, this, is Wash, this is Ozaki County, but it's, I think, indicative of other counties as well. Jeff, the Washington Ozaki Health Department has set up a system whereby you log in at 10 a.m. on a Monday, and only on a Monday to register for your COVID shot. They sent out a very detailed letter telling you it has to be done online, and it has to be done 
either through Chrome or Fox for a, Fox, a Firefox search engine. I, I, I took a pause to that, but then they sent me the thing. And yes, it says you can't use Internet Explorer. If you you can, which is what I would argue most people use. It's what comes with all the Windows computers. But if you want to log on to get your COVID shot, you cannot use Internet Explorer to do this. You have to use Chrome or Firefox. And most people, I think, would agree that Firefox is probably an inferior search engine, had all sorts of problems. So anyways, you got to use Chrome. You got to use Firefox. You got to do it at 10 a.m. on a Monday. So she writes. So. I and my friends all followed our direction, all followed the directions. All right, 10 a.m., we showed up, we're on Chrome, we're on Firefox. No one could access the website on their laptops, on their phones, or their desktops. As many times as we tried, it would not connect for any of us. Then I tried physically calling the office, and I got a message that they were temporarily unavailable. So glad I'm a Zaki County resident, said with utter frustration and sarcasm. Now, I bring that up only because, again, obviously you, you have somebody who's trying to follow the instructions, and I don't know if she's making a mistake somewhere along the line or whatever, but we say, okay, 10 o'clock is the only time that you can do it. Well, surprise follows surprise. You try to go on at 10 o'clock, and what you find is that you're just probably not able to connect because everybody else who's 65 and older is trying to get on at the same time. So you, you can't get through. And again, it's this ongoing frustration that's there. Now, I don't claim to have the answers, but I do know that if I'd been running a health department or I'd been running the state, and I knew this was coming, you would have a system that would be in place that was easily understandable and easily accessible to people so they could get their shots, as opposed to this uh, sort of catch-as-catch-can thing where you hope to get lucky and, and get through, or you hope that your uncle knows somebody who has some extra shots and they call you and you get them. There has to be a better way to roll out these various vaccines than we are seeing, because the truth of the matter is we're not going to be able to get through this pandemic until you get a large number of people who are, in fact, vaccinated, which brings me to the point I want to start the program off with. In many school districts across our state and across other states, Learning has been in person since the beginning of the school year last fall. A lot of schools said, look, we think that with social distancing and appropriate measures, we, we can go back to school and we can do it in classes. And as a general rule, what they have found is that the schools who have resumed in-person learning have not seen huge spikes in COVID. Now, I'm not saying that there's no teacher that, that got COVID. And I, again, it's tough to find traces where you trace it back directly to the classrooms. But, but yes, I, I'm sure that there's some teachers who got COVID. There's some kids who got COVID. I'm sure of that. But you're not seeing any widespread sort of um, explosions that are traceable to in-person learning, right? That's what the numbers suggest. So in Chicago, the mayor, who is, by the way, anything but a conservative, the mayor has been under impre incredible pressure from a number of the parents or constituents who are looking at private schools that have been back doing in-person learning. They're looking at parochial schools that have been back doing in-person learning. And she's looking at a number of the different studies that are out there that say, hey, hey look, um, there, 
there's not a significant problem with opening up the classrooms. And the evidence is the other schools that have done this, in Illinois in this case, and across the country, they're not seeing spikes in COVID that are traceable to the resumption of classes. So, I mean, they've ordered the public schools open starting tomorrow. They were actually supposed to be people coming back today. Now, they made an exception. They said, look, if you are a school teacher that has a specific problem, um, a compromised immune system, you're particularly vulnerable to COVID, etc., etc., we will work on special accommodations for you. But for the otherwise healthy 35-year-old school teacher, um, yes, we expect that you will report to class. And if you do not report, what's going to happen is we're going to we're going to cut off your access to a, a lot of your your teaching ability. They're teaching at home now. We're going to cut that off. We expect you to be back in the classroom. And the teachers union says, well, if you do that, we are going out on strike. And so we're 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 not going to teach at all. So the teachers that are teaching from home, doing remote learning, they're going to stop doing that. And, and we'll show you, Mayor Lightfoot, how dare you tell us that we have to go back to school. In the Milwaukee public schools, it's it's a variation of the same thing. The kids have not been in person in the classroom since, what, March or, or so. And the plan right now is maybe resuming... Uh, by early April, maybe sending kindergartners and one first and second graders back, and maybe by the end of April or early May, we'll, we'll try to get some of the other kids back. But but that's just the plan. There, there's no guarantees. So best case scenario is you'd have kids back. Best case scenario for for maybe a month, maybe a month and a half, if if everything were to work out, and my guess is, as a practical matter, without pushing, MPS is probably not going to be open to full-time in-person instruction till next fall, if then. All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk is the next line. Here, here is my question. Is there any good reason not to resume in-person learning now? Now, most of the studies that are out there suggest, once again, that the schools being resumed has not led to a significant resurgence or spread of COVID. And with social distancing and with mask requirements, what you see is a lot of schools across the country and a lot of schools in the Milwaukee area and the Chicago area, for example, that have been able to resume in-person learning, which I think we would all agree is better. They've been able to do it. And they haven't seen a huge increase in the, the number of COVID cases. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And so if we don't do it now, when seriously are we going to do it? Do, do we wait till, I don't know, ever, do we wait till you get an 80% vaccination rate? Which I don't know if we're ever going to get an 80% vaccination rate. I mean, at what point in time do we say, all right, enough is enough? Isn't it reasonable to say maybe, based on all the evidence we've seen over the last year, it is now safe to start resuming in-person learning? The very liberal mayor of Chicago thinks so. I agree with her. 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here, here's a text which I would actually turn around. Jeff, my question is, what's the difference between an airliner that's filled with passengers when all the airliners are going to require you get vaccinated, and now you're complaining because the schools want everyone to mean? I mean, why can't all the kids get vaccinated to go back to school? Well, first of all, the, these vaccinations aren't for kids. I mean, kids don't get these vaccines. Who knows when the vaccine for kids is going to be around? If that's going to be the standard, you, you might have, if the standard is we can't go back to we can't go back to class until all the kids have been vaccinated. Who, who knows? I, that, that's probably not going to be in the fall. Like I say, these the, the vaccines we're rolling out now are for adults. And, and by the way, last I looked, airliners don't require you to be vaccinated to, to fly on, on the planes. I mean, I've been on planes a couple times in the last couple months, and, and now the planes are, are full again. I mean, they, ask, they say if you're sick, they don't want you going on there. But there's no requirement to be vaccinated. I mean, and I guess my point would be if you can sit on on a plane and the planes can operate safely why can't we send kids back to school 855-616-1620 let's talk to marcia in big ben marcia good afternoon good afternoon how are you i'm well thank you what do you think um i am living in a community where we are currently in person full-time i chose to have my children in virtual for the first semester and I had to mm-hmm. fight to get my kids back in person because their grades were dropping, their mental health was suffering. Um, the only reason that I would see that they, kids shouldn't go back to school is if there were a, a major outbreak. And that's what our school did is they put us on pause for a week when we had a significant rise in cases last fall. Um, but this, the children are not the ones who are suffering. It's the teachers and the adults. And if the teacher chooses not to come back, then that's their choice. But there are other teachers out there who are willing to work and want to get back in person. Well, right. And I guess, I guess that's the question. If, if the school district decides that, that, that they can resume in-person instruction safely, Shouldn't that be the call that the school district gets to make where they say, hey, look, this is it. If you want to do your job, we, we think it's important you'd be in person for some of those reasons you were just talking about, Marcia. You know, that, and because I think we would all agree that most kids are suffering by the remote instruction. So if the school district concludes it's safe, shouldn't the school district have the right to say, okay, if you want to work here, this is what you got to do. You got to get your tail back into the classroom. Yes, I, I yeah. sincerely agree. I mean, if uh, my husband weren't an essential worker, he would be out of a job if he was told, I don't want to go back to work. Wisconsin is an at-will employer. So if you're not willing to work, then you're out of a job. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Marcia. Now, it's a little bit different when we talk about like public instruction because you're, you have people who are under, you, you get union deals and you've got contracts and things like that. And that's in Wisconsin, for example, a public employee strike would not be legal. It, it is in Chicago. So there's different issues. But look, I, I am not unsympathetic to the idea that, that, that there is this concern that there is in this, there's a pandemic that's a concern there. That's why, for example, what they're doing in Chicago, where they're saying, look, we, we've looked at these studies. We've seen the experience that other schools have had. We believe that we can do this safely. Now, if you're a teacher that is in a particular high-risk category, we're willing to work with you to get you an exemption on, on that. But as a general rule, we, we want you back. And I think employers have the right and should have the right to do that. And I guess I'm just not convinced that the school setting is any more 
dangerous than a lot of the other settings that are out there, as long as you're doing the social distancing. And at least so far, the numbers bear out my position. You, you don't see huge um, epidemics traced to the resumption of classes. Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Uh, one of the few times I agree with Mayor Lightfoot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. No, Tell me why. Uh, as you said, the evidence shows. I mean, I guarantee you they have done studies ad nauseum in the state of Illinois and the city of Chicago at taxpayers' expense to show that it is safe to reopen or to have kids go back to school. All the private schools that have been, several have been, never even closed, or maybe they closed a little bit last year, but reopened in the fall and have been open all year without any um, massive spikes. So, yes, I agree that they should be able to reopen the schools. Right, and it, and if the teachers choose, now, I mean, maybe they feel that they have the leverage because maybe they feel there's a teacher shortage and that if they decide that they're not going to come back, that the, the mayor won't be able to do anything to them because they won't be able to replace them. I, I don't know, but I keep remembering when air traffic controllers thought that yeah. uh, when President Reagan was president, yeah. he, you know, and, and Pat go, he, he just ended up firing them all. So now, thanks for the call, Mike. I, I appreciate it. Again, it's I, I don't know that there's anything inherently more dangerous. I mean, I just think about all the people who've been working over the course of the last nine months, who've been working in situations where there there is contact with the, the public and, and actually probably a lot greater at-risk contact than necessarily being in a classroom where you do the social distancing and where, at least as far as the spread of COVID, it doesn't appear that it's traced to kids as much as it would be traced to adults. But, you know, you're, the numbers just seem suggest that you're not seeing this massive increase that that's there and especially given the fact that it's just through nobody's fault but this remote learning just flat out isn't working for most kids all right let's talk to meg in milwaukee meg you're on wtmj hello hi good afternoon hi, meg. i'm calling because i'm i'm a milwaukee public school teacher and i teach second grade and i have to tell you first of all that Teaching online is like 10 times more difficult than teaching mm-hmm. in the classroom. I would I'll much bet. prefer to be in the classroom, much prefer it. And I would go back tomorrow if they called me. But I really feel that a lot of the families are really worried because many of the people that I work for, they have multiple families living in one household, grandma, grandpa, um, uh, great-grandma, mm-hmm. great-grandpa, all in one household, and I think that they're concerned about their family members. Okay. And that's why I and, think we're not going back. Oh, so you think it? You don't think it's resistance from, like, your fellow teachers. You think what it's more likely is that, that the adults aren't ready to have the schools reopened. Yes, I think, I think that they're afraid. I mean, I, the teachers that I personally know, this is a lot more work for us. We go visit oh, yeah. our kids. We drop things off at their house. We, you know, go online. We, I have taught classes on Saturday. You know, it's much easier to work in person. Mm-hmm. Much easier. Okay. Well, so, I appreciate the perspective. I think, oh, no, I, I get it. Now, in Chicago, that, in Chicago, they're saying come back, and the teachers are refusing. So it's a different dynamic, perhaps. That, that's possibly so. Possibly so. Got it. Okay. Thank you. 
Fair enough. Thanks for the call, Meg. I appreciate it. Well, look, if the school decides, look, that the community doesn't want it, that's a whole different decision. But, for example, in Chicago, they're saying it's time to come back. And I guess my question would be if Milwaukee, if the decision is, no, we're, we're concerned with the people living in the multi-generation families, are they really, is, is nobody going out? Are they really still sheltering in place? Bottom line is it's hurting the kids, and we've got to get them back to in-person instruction. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. As you might expect, a ton of texts on that last conversation. Let me just read a couple to wrap it up. Because my, my overall point is, given what we've seen over the course of the last year, there's really no good reason not to resume in-person instruction. That The schools that have done it have been able to do it without seeing huge spikes in COVID. you got to be mindful. you got to watch it. you got to monitor it. But it's time to get kids back in the classroom. Uh, Jeff, there's no reason not to go back. Teachers should know what students are suffering significantly. I live in Fond du Lac, and the public school is headed back full-time after Valentine's Day. We are a Catholic school that's been five days a week since the school year started. Things are going well. Our school has practices in place that are keeping kids safe, and we are just now back to the art room and the music room, and even with Thanksgiving and Christmas break, we still didn't see a major surge. There's contact tracing being done. If someone tests positive, then some kids are set to virtual for those two weeks, and if a teacher is out they are still teaching from home with a proctor in the classroom other schools need to get back the academic slide is significant as far as what they're missing jeff my grandson is in third grade he's been in person school since september no issues at all no covid outbreaks get them back in schools uh, Jeff, I think that the schools can't keep the kids socially distanced. I don't think there's enough room in the classrooms for the kids to go back to school safely. Well, my, my, I guess my question would be, if, if other schools all across the country are able to do this, you know, why why can't the Chicago schools? Why can't the Milwaukee schools? Um, Jeff, my children go to parochial schools, grade school and high school, and have been in the classrooms all year. Yes, there have been a handful of cases of COVID, but nothing to close the schools down. If they can do it, public schools, with all the money and public resources, can do it. Um, yeah. Jeff, Racine resident here, still not in person, but plan to go back in uh, person in phases. Union is fighting that. Go figure. Yeah. Well, I'm just telling you, I think this is one where public sentiment is in the process of shifting. All right. Speaking of public sentiment shifting and how soon we forget. Yesterday, another mall Another shooting. If you haven't been following the story that the Fox River Mall up in in Grand Chute, you know, chances are you've perhaps been there at one time or another. Apparently, the story is that yesterday, which would have been a Sunday, yesterday afternoon around three thirty, um, in in a food in the food court at, at the mall. What happened is, at least allegedly, a 17-year-old, and they've got pictures of him that have been out there. His name is Desmond Ellis. The picture that, they, that they've posted as the police are looking for him shows this sweet-looking kid who's standing there making what appear to be gang signs, at least in the picture that I saw. But they, they believe that he is the shooter. Um, he shot and killed uh, a 19-year-old in the food court. He also shot a second person that was wounded but will survive. He he took off. As you might expect, after the shooting, people start to freak out. He took off and was able to escape before 
The authorities were able to get there. Um, they've identified the vehicle he was driving. And if you were listening to Eric's newscast just a couple of minutes ago, they found they found the car parked outside an apartment building. Now they they will find the shooter. I mean, he's it, this is one of these situations where he's 17 years old. Where, where is he going to go? So. At some point in time, whether he's in this apartment building and the car is parked outside or whatever, they, they will find him and they will apprehend him. But for the second time in a couple months, we have a shooting inside a mall. Now, I got a text or two from some people who were listening to me after the Mayfair Mall shooting, where, again, same sort of situation. In this case, you had a, a, another 15-year-old, in this case, who decides to pull out a gun and, and start shooting at somebody who he didn't like or whatever, and they, they still haven't come out with all the details. But my guess is it's going to turn out to be a gang-related sort of thing once all is said and done. But regardless, you, you have a shooting inside the mall. Well, here you have another shooting, and this time it's a fatality. Now, apparently, this was not a random shooting. At least the police are saying they believe it was targeted. In other words, the 17-year-old was there looking to shoot and kill the 19-year-old, which he was able to accomplish. But the larger point is he was able to get a gun in, in the mall. And as bad as this was, one dead, one injured, it, it, it could have been worse, could have been a lot worse. Now, I've argued from the beginning that trying to put metal detectors in shopping malls is simply not practical. There's too many exits. There's too many entrances. You can't funnel everybody through one entrance. People are coming and going all the time. It's not like, I don't know, Miller Park or Lambeau Field or Pfizer Forum where you've got a game that's starting at a particular time so you know there's going to be a rush. I've just argued metal detectors are not flat-out practical which doesn't mean there's not stuff you can do, but in this particular case, metal detectors, I just don't think, I don't think work. Well, after the shooting yesterday, I heard from a couple people saying, Jeff, do you still not think metal detectors work? And, and my answer is, yeah, I, I still, I'm not an advocate for metal detectors in shopping malls. I think there are other things that you can do to be more proactive, including uh, including, again, limits on unaccompanied minors, which, in this case, it's a 17-year-old with a gun. Okay, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this shooting yesterday a justification for re-looking at the question of metal detectors in malls? If you go to the uh, mall, the Fox River Mall, if you go to the mall in Mayfair, if you go to Brookfield Square, should you be funneled through metal detectors? Is that even practical? Or do we have to realize that, you know, there are the better ways to deal with this situation or alternatively, it's just the risk that we're going to take as long as you've got 17-year-olds that have access to firearms and are apparently willing to use them. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, I just don't think metal detectors work. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, a shooting yesterday afternoon at the Fox River Mall in Grand Chute. 17-year-old armed with a handgun 
shot and killed a 19-year-old in the food court. Police are saying it was targeted, which suggests that, that this was an intentional act, that he brought the gun there with the purpose of shooting and killing the other person, as opposed to sort of the random shooting that affected Mayfair Mall. But here we have, you know, for the second time in just a couple months, we, we have another shooting in a mall, which is raising questions about what, if anything, can be done. Now, I will say this, and, and it's one of the things that I think I was wrong on, and I'm glad I, I was. I thought after the Mayfair Mall shooting that it would at least slow down business at the mall. And I will tell you, at least anecdotally, I happened to be at Mayfair a couple times during the Christmas season um, after the shooting. And you, you couldn't have told, but from the, if, if people were reluctant to go to Mayfair Mall because of fears of violence, you couldn't have proved it from the parking lot, and you couldn't have proved it from the stores that my wife and I were in. The places were, were just packed. So people, at least the, the threat of violence, didn't keep them away. I think if you try to put in metal detectors, that is something that's going to keep people away. Because first of all, you've got a million, not a million, but you've, you've got multiple entrances into these big shopping malls. And and you just there's too many entrances to put up metal detectors and staff medical metal detectors you know 24 seven or while the malls are open it's it's just not practical to do it so if the question becomes we're only going to shut that we're going to only leave four entrances to the mall open and people are going to be going through that you're going to have people waiting 45 minutes or an hour in February in Wisconsin to get into a mall they're simply not going to do that eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, it's a catch twenty two. You can have policies about minors being in the mall and they don't enforce it, and then you can't put metal detectors everywhere, so what's the person to do? My answer would be you implement these policies and then you vigorously enforce them. If you're going to have a policy that says no unescorted minors, which by the way I think is probably a good thing, my sense is from what happened yesterday up in Grand Chute that that food court it was mostly kids that were in the food court at the time, you know, anyways. I, I think what you have to do is you have to have a more aggressive security presence, and that's what they've done in, in Mayfair, and you have to keep unescorted minors out. Um, Jeff, I think most stores in the malls have some security systems that let the team know when someone steals. Maybe the same system could be there to uh, detect firearms. I know the person with the gun would need to enter the store to be detected, but it might deter folks from carrying firearms. Jeff, online shopping has already taken a chunk of business from the malls. If it becomes a huge hassle to enter a mall, I would just skip it and utilize online retailers or standalone stores. Yeah, see, that's, I, I mean, I think that's one of the points that's out there it again I, I understand why you have metal detectors but you know generally speaking metal detectors are I mean think about think about Pfizer forum the game starts at a particular time you know so they have a, a battery of metal detectors you have people that are there during the rush so they're there for that that hour before the game that's not how a shopping mall operates you got people that are coming and going all the time if you're going to only have one or two entrances to a Mayfair mall or something what you're effectively doing is you're gonna have people standing outside in in snowstorms or in cold weather that to me just isn't practical Leslie in Milwaukee Leslie you're on WTMJ Hi. Well, uh, you Hi. make some good points. I would like to point out that it is possible for places, uh, malls, to have metal detectors and guards on exits. I know this is done in Israel um, with also mm -hmm. grocery stores and banks and pretty much every building there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Israel is a different point, situation, yeah. 
Yeah. Security in Israel is complete. Well, there's bombing. I mean, security in Israel, I mean, Israel just has a different approach to freedom of movement, It'd be just simply because of the, the conditions that, that are in Israel, yeah, and how the, the country, the history of the country, sure. True. It doesn't take very long. There's very rarely a huge long line, and perhaps maybe on uh, our Black Friday that would probably be a problem. However, you're right, it does. It would cost, and frankly, I probably would not go to, well, I don't go to the mall now, um, so this is probably not going to make it more attractive for me and, and some other people. Yeah. But it can be done, but you have to limit the number of exits. Every store can't have an exit. For example, you can't be right. able to go through Barnes & Noble and the uh, right. usual entrances. It would limit things. Oh, right, dramatically. I guess. The, oh, yeah, and then the question becomes, would, would people – would people end up putting up with this? Let me ask you this, Leslie. Do you, when when you go out and about, do, do you feel unsafe when you it, when on, when you do go to malls or stores around here? I would feel unsafe being at Mayfair Mall because of the history of violence that has occurred there. Yes. Yeah. Got it. No, thanks mm-hmm. for the call. I appreciate it. And, and again, I, and I appreciate the pair. Right. I mean, Israel, of course, is I, that's on my bucket list. I, I have some very, very dear friends who go there a couple times a year, and they've offered to take me and, or, and show me around. And I, I very, at some point in time, I very much want to to go. But I mean, of course, Israel is just a different sort of situation where you you have the, this country that's surrounded by enemies that want you blown off the face of the map and all the different bombing and stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, security security is completely different in a place like Israel. But we're 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 not Israel, and I guess that's the the thing. Are how much of our individual freedoms are we going to be willing to give up? To me, again, I would start. I would start with policies that keep unescorted minors out, not just for the shootings, but the fact that, you know, if you look at a lot of the trouble that occurs in malls, it, it's kids with too much time on their hands. And, and the malls, I, I mean, I, I don't mean to be elitist here, but let's face it, the malls are there to, to conduct commerce. And as I've said this before, what you want is, the last thing you want is you want shoppers, particularly you know, suburban women who are some of the driving forces behind shopping. The, the last thing you want is suburban women feeling unsafe to go into a particular store. That's one of the things that helped kill Northridge. We've talked about that many, many times over the last couple of decades. It, that's one of the things that killed them. You don't want to see that happen to other, any of these other malls. But in order to, to do that, you need to have, I, I think, a huge security presence, and you need to not allow unaccompanied minors. Because, I mean, these last two shootings, look, and I, I understand, it could be a 28-year-old with a gun, I get it, but the last two shootings at Mayfair, it was a 15-year-old with a gun, and yesterday it was apparently a 17-year-old with a gun. Jeff, maybe uh, Mike in the Northwest, uh, Northwest Side says, maybe food courts and individual stores can put up metal detectors. Um, Jeff, I'm more aware of my surroundings lately, but I agree that no unaccompanied minors is a more plausible way to do it. Jeff, I have to say that no matter the cost, metal detectors should be looked at for public safety. Any deterrent is better than none. This stuff is out of control. Um, Jeff, just this past Saturday, I had one item to get at Mayfair at a Mayfair store. I arrived at noon, parked close to the store location. I literally ran into Mayfair, got my item, and left as quickly as I could to get out of there. The whole time, I felt scared because of the mall shootings. I'm sorry, but that is my reality. Um, 
That is my reality today. Jeff, I'm quite familiar with the Fox River Mall. I even worked at the now extinct movie theater and structure. I never felt unsafe there, but now I'm definitely rethinking that. Minimally, they need less entrances, less stores, targeting young people, and perhaps more age restrictions. Um, Yes, Jeff, I felt way more safe anywhere in Israel than I feel anywhere in Milwaukee. I live in downtown Milwaukee. It, it's just, I mean, it, it's in, again, it's a, it, it's a different philosophy brought on by the, you know, different conditions in, in the country. I don't know. I, it's, a, it's frustrating that we continue to have these stories, but I'm afraid that they are, in fact, not going to go away. And in this particular case, you've got a 17-year-old who's murdered a 19-year-old. They will catch the kid. Hopefully, this won't kill the business at the Fox River Mall. But what they're going to have to do, I think, is plan ahead. And we forget these things. You know, I mean, I, again, I, I remember, oh, I'm never going to go to Mayfair. I'm scared to go to Mayfair. And like I say, over Christmas time, at least anecdotally, those times I were there, Mayfair was absolutely packed. The parking lot was packed. So maybe this is an acceptable risk. I think that there's a middle ground, but it starts with not allowing unaccompanied minors in the various stores because to do that, well, leads to trouble. All right, when we come back, are we doing people a favor by not making them pay rent? The ACLU is extremely, extremely unhappy and has COVID killed cash. I will explain and we will discuss. That's all coming up in just a couple minutes. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have you with us. All right. I have changed my habits over the last couple years. And in the last year, not so much because of COVID, but because of air travel. I I have been, I am not adverse to using credit cards. And I use credit cards a lot. However, as I've said on this program before, for smaller purchases, or for a lot of times, like restaurant dining, especially if, if the tab's not too great, I, I tend to pay cash. I, I know servers in restaurants, I think, prefer getting cash than the, getting the, the thing put on their credit cards, so I would pay cash. In addition, for smaller sort of purchases, I, I will I will use cash. And it's not to say I'm, I'm against credit cards. I use credit cards all the time. One of the things that's been happening over the course, <clears throat> for me, of the last year or so, is I, I've been using credit cards for more and more purchases simply because I, I, I like the points. I've got an airline travel card, and, uh, you know, it, it is amazing how, how quickly, you know, you can rack up those points and how those points lead to free or reduced um, flights. So th- th- that's what I've been doing, and that's why I'm doing it. But um, there's no question that, that since COVID has developed, even though... There, there, there's no real evidence that suggests that, that COVID gets spread by me giving somebody a $5 bill and then they giving me a dollar and 82 cents in change, even though there, there's no objective evidence that says that. I understand that people are, are funny nowadays about, you know, wanting to, to handle things. Nevertheless, I, I still, for very, for the smaller purchases, I, I will pay cash. I understand in some respects I'm kind of like a dinosaur 
because the, I, I know lots of people just don't don't even carry cash, and it doesn't matter what they're buying. Doesn't matter if they're buying a dollar twenty eight soda or if they're buying you know a seven thousand dollar living room set. It, it doesn't matter. They're going to put it on their credit card because they want the bonuses or whatever, or they don't want to carry cash, or they're concerned with with COVID. So again, I haven't completely eliminated carrying cash and using cash, but I admit I've reduced it more, not because I'm concerned about passing the germs, but rather, again, simply because I want the points. Interesting story in the Wall Street Journal today, and the headline is, Don't Bank bank on COVID-19 Killing Off Cash Just Yet. And the story goes on to talk about how the pandemic has sped the decline of cash payments and that more and more people who used to pay cash for routine purchases are now not not doing it. Now, again, like I say, to the extent I don't use cash as much as I did, it's it's because I'm, I'm trying to get the points on my credit card. But what they're showing is that people are moving away from cash, and they believe the pandemic is one of those reasons. All right, let's tee this up. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you using less cash when you purchase things, let's say now, than you did three years ago? And, and if so, why? Again, for me, I'm getting the benefits. I'm getting the points on my, my Southwest credit card. That That's what I'm, I'm doing because I, I'm finding that I'm using those points more and more. But maybe it's the pandemic. Maybe it's just, hey, I don't want to have to fool around with cash. But I, I, I will say this. I, I used to... I would say I would go to the ATM machine, you know, maybe maybe once a week and get cash. And in all honesty, I don't remember the last time I went to an ATM machine. It, it probably probably three or four weeks ago. And I'm walking around with a bunch of cash in my in my wallet. <laughs> my wife always hates it when I say that, but I've got cash in my wallet. But mostly it's cash that I haven't spent. I mean, again, if I if I go and I make a small purchase for a couple bucks. I'm not putting it on the credit card because I don't, in part, want the retailer to have to pay for it, um, to pay the, the, the fee that they have to pay. But, you know, for any significant size purchase, and including a lot of the meals nowadays, it's going on the card. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are back to discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I use my credit card exclusively. I'm not really worried about COVID, but I love my five percent cash back. I will say, however, that when I used cash more, I was more aware of my spending. Jeff, I was always a cash person, but now I'm using my credit card more often because my credit union um, only has their drive-through open. The line is always a good ten to fifteen minute wait. I recently got a debit card so I can get my needed cash at the time machine of course we're showing our age there we use the phrase time machines that's atms when they first came to wisconsin um the time which was it stands for uh, uh take your money take 
your money everywhere. That's what time meant. Um, let's see. Uh, 855-616-1620. Jeff, it's simply faster to use a card, especially the tap-to-pay card. Jeff, for me and others in the food and beverage business, it hurts that people don't tip in cash anymore. It's not always about skating on your taxes. Uh, okay, mostly it is. But sometimes you do need walking cash. That's pretty funny. Jeff, I use cash for all small transactions. I now won't go to retailers who do not accept cash. Jeff, since I haven't been going to Pottawatomie, the casino, I don't really need cash, um, and I don't miss it. Jeff, cash is king during the holidays, so I don't have a huge credit card payment in January. Um, let's see, 855-616-1620. Jeff, I feel bare if I don't have at least a little cash in my wallet. Yeah, and I would say I, I'd lump myself in the same category. I, I'm not, I haven't completely given up on cash, and my, my switch to the cards, it's, it's not because of covid but I, I think this is hastening some people getting away from it. I'm looking at this study. Um, let's see. It, it says that, okay, in 2019, people used cash for 26% of all payments. Right? In 2012, cash was 40%. So that's a significant decrease in seven years. And my guess is it's going to be substantially lower when they look at it for the last number. Okay, 855-616-1620. Chris in Milwaukee. Chris, you're first. Hello. Hey, how you doing, Jeff? Real well, thank you, sir. What do you think about this? What I think about this is I come from a tale of two worlds. I'm a performing musician that works for cash, and I've been a merchant service representative for the banking industry where I sold credit card processing. Okay. And credit card processing, can, and, and, you know, you say when, you, when you're talking about this and you're like, hey, guess what? Um, people spend more money on credit cards. The industry standard is we spend 30% more when we use a card because sure. we don't keep track of what we're spending. And I'll just sure. tell you, I just left one of my favorite restaurants in the city, and I usually use my card, and then I tip in cash because uh, I've been in and out of the service industry for a long time. So that, that's kind of how I roll. Right. So, yeah, you know, and I started actually doing that on occasion, too, where, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll pay the bill on the credit card, and then I'll always write, you know, where it says gratuity, I'll write, you know, tip left in cash or something like that so it doesn't look like i stiffed somebody but but still then you'll leave the cash there because you know they like to get it do you think this trend is going to continue do you think more people are going to be moving away from using cash i you know what i'm kind of torn because i'm i'm in a tale of two worlds where i use cash yeah. and credit and I'll, i use yeah. i use cash for a lot of different stuff and and uh you know i the, the some places that you go and let's say you go to one of your favorite restaurants and you leave the tip in cash, some restaurant owners will actually make you deduct the fee that you pay off of the tip that oh. you take. So like if, if somebody leaves a $20 tip and there's a $2.08 service charge that comes from the bank for that transaction, that server's going to pay it. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> thanks for call, Chris. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, no, I believe you. No, thanks for call. I, I, you know, that I, I, I would not be happy with that. To me, it would be like, okay, if you're, if the business, to me, that's a cost of doing business. Um, if if you're going to make the decision that you're going to accept the cards or not, I, I do find it interesting that people are becoming more and more concerned about, okay, the the, the handling money back and forth, and I guess that's never. That's that's not been one of my concerns. I guess I, I'm not worried. Yeah, I, I figure if, if I'm going to get sick, 
there's, there's a lot more things that I'm likely to get sick from than the fact that, you know, somebody gave me, like I say, a couple of dollar bills back when I, I gave them a 10 or a 20. Gianni and Montello. Gianni, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. And I, I hope you're seeing the sun down there like we are up here. The sun hey, listen, is down. The um, sun I is out. Used... Good, good. Get rid of some of that snow. Listen, uh, I have not used cash in over 10 years. The only time I use it uh, is when I buy eggs from my Amish neighbors uh, or a private transaction here or there. I keep some cash around. I also keep a wad of cash in the car in case my credit cards don't fail. But um, even sans um, COVID, I, I, I don't know where that the hands have been that, that are handling this cash. And uh, I, 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 that has been reinforced by um, how many people I see that do not wash down their shopping carts um, at the grocery store and uh, do not wash their hands when they leave the, 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 the men's room. So, uh, no, 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 I, I, I'm done with cash. And the, le- you know, the, the less frequently I have to handle it, the better. Okay. In your wallet now, Gianni, do you have any cash in there? Uh, I, I have um, a wad of of, of, of 20s. I, I've got over 100. <laughs> yeah, but but okay, I haven't right. touched it. I have not touched it. I haven't touched it okay. in, in uh, okay. you know, in six months. Okay. All right. Thanks for calling. Appreciate that. <laughs> That's, I, I mean, again, I always... I, I, I always carry a bit of cash. I, I don't carry anywhere near as much cash as I used to. I always carry a bit of cash just because maybe sometimes you're going to be in a place that doesn't end up taking cash or that doesn't take credit cards or whatever, and I, I might want something there. But I do find myself, again, I'm just, it, it's it's one of those things. Um, it, it took me a while I for electronic bill pay to catch on. You know, it used to be I'd be one of those people, you'd get your bills in the mail every month, and, you know, you'd sit down and I'd spend like an evening and you'd write out all the checks and you put them in the envelope and you put the stamps on the envelope and you'd send them off. And now do I still do that with a couple bills? Yeah, but it's only a couple bills. Mostly it's it's all hooked up. I get the notice that says, hey, you owe the cable company X amount of dollars and all right, just open up my bank account, go to the regular thing, put in the amount, send it off. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff, my wallet has about 10 singles in it, but it's not for the strip club. I got it. <laughs> um, no, but I, I I rarely use cash n- not, um, during the pandemic, but I think it's really because I'm not in as, as many situations where cash is the more practical thing to use. Um, when the pandemic is over in 2027, um, <laughs> and I'm going to be on a guy's night out with, with friends, like bar hopping and going to restaurants and stuff like that, I'm probably bringing cash instead of trying to have us deal with all of our cards. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, thanks for calling. I think it's, yeah, it's, I mean, there, there are, there is always going to be that, that situation where, again, you're, you, you go into the bar once we're able to go into bars nowadays, whenever that happens, and, you know, you, you order the beer and you, you put the $10 bill up on the bar and, and whatever. I think there's always going to be a role for cash. And, but I, I would not be surprised, again, if this pandemic hastens people's, lack of use of it. I mean, my, my wife is one of the classic examples of that. I, I always, it's like, honey, you have to have a little bit of cash with you. And she's like, well, why? I've got the credit cards. It'll do it. It's, well, you might, you might be in a situation sometime where, you know, you're at a place where the, the, 
they don't take credit cards or whatever. And she says, Jeff, I haven't found that place yet. <laughs> you know, so it's it's like, well, just do me a favor and you know, put put twenty dollars in your wallet in case something happens and 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 you need it. But we are moving more towards being a, a cashless society. And my guess is it's also you you can break it down on age. I mean, again, my my guess is people who are in their fifties might have a different approach towards the use of cash than people who are you know in in their twenties. Who or their 30s who just wouldn't think of carrying cash for anything. And COVID probably isn't going to enhance that. All right, back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One of my favorite stories of the weekend, the Evers administration is trying to stiff the Navy on a Badger shield statue. It's an interesting story, actually. Um, Back... Well, there's, it's a statue. Of course, everybody knows that the state animal of Wisconsin is the badger. And, of course, there the Wisconsin badgers and things like that. Back in 1899, there was this statue that was crafted from melted-down cannons taken from Cuba during the Spanish-American War. And, and what they did is they took, they made this statue, and the statue is a badger, on top of a shield that says forward. It's got kind of the, like the logo of the state of Wisconsin. So it's a badger on top of, of the shield. It's a badger shield. Um, it was affixed to the USS Wisconsin battleship before World War One. All right, so then what happened is after that battleship was decommissioned, what they did is they took the statue and they put it in the U.S. Naval Academy garden. Um, so it, it's been, it was out at, at Annapolis, you know, in, at the Naval Academy. In 1988, Wisconsin said, hey, we'd like to borrow this statue because the State Historical Society um, is, is presenting an exhibition in connection with the recommissioning of a second USS Wisconsin, which was built in Philadelphia. So they said, hey, we're, we're doing this exhibition. Will you loan us? Navy, will you loan us the Badger statue? And so the Navy said, sure, we'll loan it to you. That's, of course, the operative term. So they loan it to the state of Wisconsin for this exhibition. Well, after the exhibition ends, the state of Wisconsin decides, hey, this is pretty cool. So instead of sending it back to the Navy, what they do is they move this outside the governor's office. And it's, it's been outside the governor's office in the Capitol ever since. Now, the building's been closed to the public for the last year, but if you've ever been in the Capitol and, and you've been up to the governor's office, you know what I'm talking about. And this is one of these things where, you know, tourists will come up and they'll, like, rub the badger's nose for good luck and, and all those those things. Matter of fact, that they say that so many people have touched the nose that it, it's it's got a more it's more polished than the rest of the statue, so it kind of gleams. All right, so it's 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 been there, but it's been on loan since 1988. Well, what happened is the Navy wants it back. They say, hey, look, we we we're we're filling out this museum that we're doing in Norfolk, Virginia, where the second USS Wisconsin is now an exhibit. So we we want this statue back because after all, we loaned it to you. In 1988, and now we we want it back. And the state has apparently decided to say pound sand. Even though we borrowed this, we're we're not giving it back to you. So so the Navy said, well, I tell you what, here, look, we'll we'll extend it through like like mid September 
That would be last September. We'll, we'll extend it because it's COVID-19 and it's a pandemic and, and people aren't going through our museum now anyways, but we want it back. And the state right now um, hasn't hasn't given it back and really doesn't want to give it back because, you know, they say, hey, people, people like this. So, you know, they keep asking them to extend the loan, but so far uh, the Navy's not agreeing, but the state is showing no signs of wanting to give the badger back. My point would be, look, I like the statue, but a loan is a loan. You've had it since 1989, and if they want it back, well, I think you should give it back. Shouldn't you? I mean, it belongs to the Navy. But maybe that's kind of the way our government views stuff nowadays. Once you get it, possession is nine-tenths of the law. Don't know. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, late last week, the, the announcement came out that the Waukesha County Sheriff's Department had hired former Wauwatosa police officer Joseph Mensa. Officer Mensa, of course, was the officer who found himself facing a, a bunch of controversy because he'd been involved in, in three shootings over a five-year period of time, all the shootings had been investigated. All the shootings the, the, were de- he was cleared, determined to have acted appropriately. But yet he became the target of some of the, these sort of social justice warriors who decided that we we want Mensa out. And when the powers that be in Wauwatosa refused to remove him, then it was we want the Wauwatosa police chief Barry Weber out. And when the mayor who is not a conservative, supported the police department. Well, we want the mayor out. And so ultimately what ended up happening is that Mensa cut a deal with the Wauwatosa Fire and Police Commission where he he resigned and he got a severance. I I at the time said I thought that was the best for for all parties because even though he had done nothing, in my opinion, which deserved to get him fired, he was going to be the hot potato. You, you know that moving on from that point in time, that there would be people in the community who would never, ever accept his legitimacy, and they'd, they'd be looking for him to screw up, or they'd be looking to try to induce him to screw up. And I, I thought it made just an untenable situation, so I thought it was best that Officer Mensa left. Uh, the, Wal- the Waukesha County Sheriff's Department said, hey, you know, he applied for a job here. We checked his recommendations. The Wauwatosa police chief, Barry Weber, gave him a high recommendation. We looked at the various instances that he had. He's been cleared in all three of them. We think he's a good police officer, so we're going to hire him. And, and we discussed this when it first happened. Um, there has been a predictable reaction since then from a lot of the usual suspects i'm looking at a story here the people's revolution that's one of the the groups that was involved in like helping organize protests and closing down mayfair mall and those things here's what they say about it there are no protections for the community from killer cops Wauwatosa found some place to tuck Mensa away so that he would not be their problem, but close enough to watch if he blows a whistle. This will be a huge liability for Waukesha financially. Mensa is now being paid by two police departments for murder. This is America. Um, They also took to Facebook to call out the horrible decision. Black and brown people will continue to be targeted until officers like Mensa are held accountable for their actions. Let us pray that a fourth victim and family won't suffer from his actions. Of course, 
Joseph Mensa is black, but let's not let the facts slow us down. Let's see. The Milwaukee Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression, whatever that might be, released a statement calling for Mensa to be fired. Serial killer cop Joseph Mensa clearly has found his home in Waukesha, but his most appropriate home would be in jail writes one of the founders of this. Uh, Let's see. The ACLU is unhappy. Securing some measure of accountability for Officer Mensa took months of sustained action from community members. He received a $125,000 settlement from the Wauwatosa Police Department budget to leave the department. For him to simply relocate and get the same kind of job with another department is disheartening and dangerous. This is the ACLU. Um, After seeing such deep and recent concern across the entire country about the systematic need for police accountability, it's hard to understand the logic behind this example. It, it, it goes on and on. Other people who've been calling for Mensa's arrest, etc., etc. But you get the idea. The usual suspects outraged that the Waukesha Sheriff's Department has decided to hire Joseph Mensa. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, let, let's, let's tee this up. Is this a position? Should the sheriff have decided, look, I'm not going to hire him? Doesn't matter if he's qualified for the job. Doesn't matter if he comes highly recommended. Doesn't matter if the instances that some of the groups that don't like him for have been thoroughly investigated and all determined to be, hey, he, he was acting within his scope, didn't do anything wrong. I mean, should the guy be blacklisted? because some of these groups don't like the fact that he was involved in these different situations, even though each of the three shootings was determined to be justified. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. My take on this, look, I think the guy deserves to make a living. Now, am I a little bit surprised that he decided to stay so close to home? Yeah, I, I, I am. Um, candidly, I thought he'd resume his career in law enforcement, but might have been looking for somewhere outside the metropolitan area. All right, but, but having said that, I mean, he did nothing wrong. At, at what point in time do we put the scarlet A on the guy's chest? Are, are we at a point where we say, okay, because aspects, some of the mob doesn't like some of the things you did and decided to make you a political punching bag, does that mean that you can't make a living in your chosen occupation, which is law enforcement? And my answer would be no. And I actually give the Waukesha County Sheriff, Eric Severson, I give him credit for saying, look, I'm not going to give in to the mob. The guy is qualified. He comes recommended. I'm going to treat him like I would any other deputy. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Rob in Greenfield. Rob, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Um, Hi, I think it's inconceivable that um, he they wouldn't hire him. I mean, if you pull a gun out uh, on a police officer, threatening him with some lethal force, I mean, you, you have to be you, you have to know you're going to be down on your back. I mean, there's no there's no excuse. You know, I mean, there's no. Uh, excuse that you didn't understand that, you know, pulling a gun out on a police officer could get you shot, you know, and the guy okay, had but Bob, look, three drugs. No, I, I don't, 
Right. Yeah, I don't disagree. But let me look. Here's the deal. You know, you, you say it's inconceivable. This is clearly a decision which, in some circles, is not going to be politically popular. So you you know that you're going to have all sorts of people that are going to be ragging on the sheriff. It would have perhaps been easier just to pass on Mensa. But I, I actually give I I give Eric Severson credit for being willing to take a chance on the guy. He he ran towards he ran towards. Um action you know he 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 put himself in danger he ran right to the problem you know i mean you you can't you know train that or um i mean that's commendable you know that he would pursue somebody like that thanks the call i appreciate well you know it it is and i've mentioned this on the air before i don't think i'm telling tales out of school because i i I talked to chief weber about this and i i I don't know if this was part of an on-air conversation or one of the ones we had off air but the, the you know, I said, look, here, here's the deal. Um, we, we all know people who've been in law enforcement for their entire career who never have to pull their service weapon. They, they, never, they never have to fire a shot. And I, I understand the, the conventional wisdom as well. This guy must be trigger happy because he was involved in three shooting incidents in five years. And the point that Chief Weber made, which is, by the way, a very good point, is, look, officers don't get to pick and choose what calls they go on. Officers get the call. Hey, there's, you know, you got to show up at Mayfair Mall. We've got this situation involving, you know, a bunch of, you know, kids and somebody's got a gun. All right. And then one of the people pulls a gun. All right. You, you don't ask to get in that situation. You get the call saying, hey, it's three o'clock in the morning and we need you to go check out this car that's parked in, in Hart Park. So you go over. I mean, you don't know that the guy in the front seat of the car is going to have a gun that he points at you. I mean, it, it's all these the police officers don't get to pick and choose, you know, where they end up going. And so that's why you have to look and say, all right, did the officer do anything wrong? I have a text here. Jeff. How can you say he did nothing wrong? He killed three people in five years. Take guns from cops. They are not the judge, jury, and executioner. He, how can you say he did nothing wrong? He killed three people in five years. Take guns from cops. Oh, that's going to work out really, really well. So let's have the cops not have guns so that when the bad guys point the guns at them, they know that they can get away with it because the police won't be able to defend themselves. No, I... The question isn't, did he kill three people in five years? The question is, was his use of force unjustified in any of those different situations? And if it was, well, he deserves to be held accountable. But in this case, um, it, in this case um, it wasn't. 855-616-1620. Jeff, um, the officer did his job. Just because some people don't abide by the law, as you always say, life is tough, Get a helmet. Jeff, he was not found to be at fault for the shootings. He has a right to work. I give the sheriff credit. He's doing what he thinks is right. Um, Jeff, he was found innocent in all three cases. Well, actually, he actually he was found that he did he was found to not have done anything wrong no reason not to give him a job um see i think that that's the point um let's see uh jeff years ago a milwaukee police officer had to resign i can't remember his name or what he did but grafton hired him no issues that's what i heard um yeah i guess you just kind of Look at this. Jeff, let's take away the locks from the doors as well. Somebody says, well, Jeff, it works for Australia, Japan, and England, you know, where we, we don't have the police officers that are armed. Well, we're, we're not Japan, and we're not 
Australia and we're not England. And if you can figure out a way to take firearms out of the hands of all the different bad guys who are using guns to commit crimes, first figure out a way to get guns out of their hands, and then we can start talking about taking guns away from police officers. But that's the start. Don't think we're close to that point at this point in time. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I remain fascinated by the the impeachment process and and what's going on in Washington, D.C. Now, we've talked about this before, and I know Many of you disagree with me on this. There are people who want their their pound of flesh and want to see the impeachment proceed and want to see President Trump convicted. He's already been impeached by the House, but he needs to be convicted by the Senate. Now, he's already left office. Typically, the remedy of impeachment exists to remove somebody from office. Well, Trump is already not in office, so that the point of impeachment has already been accomplished. He's gone. And there are some constitutional questions about whether you can impeach people who who are no longer in office. Now, there's an historical precedent that back in during the time of the Civil War, immediately after they did it, after somebody had left office, never a president. So it, it's kind of up in the air, and and people, really smart people, you know, disagree on that. But but there's folks that say, well, we've got to impeach him, even though he's gone. And the idea is, if we impeach him. By a tooth, if we convict him, then what we can do is we can have a second vote that can prohibit him from running for office again, to which I say Donald Trump is not going to run for president again. And if Donald Trump does run for president again, that's going to be the greatest gift for whoever is running as the Democrat nominee in 2024, because if Donald Trump could not be reelected in 2020, and then everything that's happened since then, do you really think that he has a realistic chance of winning in 2024? And I think most people on the left and on the right would, would probably say no. Now, I understand he still has some of his supporters, but, but Donald Trump as a political force as far as being a candidate go, I, I think it's history. So th- this whole process I- is academic. What's even more significant is the fact that it's not going to happen. You need... 67 votes to convict him in the Senate. And you're not going to have 67 votes. Everybody who's counting heads agrees. You might be able to peel away a couple Republican senators. I set the over-under as eight. But you need 17. Nobody thinks you're going to get 17. So the bottom line is you're going to go through this trial, and at the end of the trial, he is going to be acquitted. I can't tell you exactly what the vote number is going to be, but he's going to be acquitted. So there's not going to be any consequences. So yet we're going through this whole thing. What I've been suggesting all along, and what a couple moderate Democrats and Republicans have been doing as well, is saying instead of doing the impeachment process for somebody who's already out of office, what you should do is you should issue a a censure motion, which would essentially be a, a badge of shame that would carry to him and I think if you would do that you'd have broader bipartisan support and you'd at least be able to accomplish something historically for somebody who's out of office but that that's not the case because you have 
people, particularly on the left, who want to try to get the pound of flesh and don't care about the reality that there, there's not enough votes to convict him. So we're going to go through this, and it's going to be a dog and pony show, and it's going to be a distraction, it's going to be political theater, but at the end of the day, he's going to be acquitted. Having said that, there is an interesting thing, and one of the least desirable jobs for a lawyer right now would have to be representing former President Trump in the impeachment proceedings. A number of the lawyers that represented him in the first proceedings don't, don't want to come back. They're, they're done with this. And a number of the lawyers that were hired to represent him in this proceeding have, have apparently removed themselves from the case. And the story is there's just a, a disagreement on, on tactics. President Trump apparently wants to continue to concentrate on the fact that the election was stolen and, and make that argument um, as opposed to maybe some other defenses that are there. And I, I will tell you, from the perspective of a recovering attorney, there's, there, there's nothing worse than having a client who doesn't want to listen to your advice. And I guess that's the best way I would put it. And, and ultimately, at the end of the day, you're the lawyer. You, you advise people as to what you think the best strategy is. You advise them as to how they proceed. You advise them of the various pitfalls of different strategic decisions. And at the end of the day, they, they make their decision. And, and then they end up having to live with their decision. In some cases, though, if the decision is so contrary to what you think is in the interest of the client that you don't think you can ethically proceed, well, then, then what you do is you withdraw. You say, okay, look, this, I, I can't do what you want to do. I think this is just a, a recipe for disaster. Sometimes there's ethical questions that are raised by things that the client wants you to do, and you say, look, I, I just can't go down this route. I can't do it. But, you know, Trump finds himself a week before the impeachment trial is supposed to start, supposed to start February 8th, finds himself a week before the trial with, you know, fluctuating attorneys. Apparently, he's hired two um, other attorneys to come in after a couple of the other lead attorneys left, and who knows exactly what the defense is going to be. I will say that that representing President Trump would probably be a very, very difficult job simply because... He's a guy who likes to call the shots, and he has historically surrounded himself with lawyers, the Michael Cohns of the world, who you know do what they're told instead of necessarily doing what they think is in the best interest. There's also the other issue about you know getting paid. President Trump has a history of of stiffing people who have done business with him over the years, including lawyers. So I guess when I've been reading these stories, and I saw that there's a couple new attorneys who are going to come in and take over the case on short notice, I guess I was thinking that, you know, my best advice to them would be, first of all, be prepared to have a thick skin, and secondly, uh, get the money up front, because I have a feeling that, you know, whatever the fee arrangement is, whatever is agreed to, one way or the other, because we all know how this is going to turn out. The results are pretty much preordained. My guess is that, you know, after the trial ends, if you're if you're sending bills to President Trump down at Mar-a-Lago and you're hoping that they're going to get paid, I, I wouldn't be holding your breath. So if you're expecting to be paid for this, get the money up front. Good advice in lots of legal situations. I think really good advice in this particular situation. All right, when we come back, we got a lot of stuff coming up in the three, 2 o'clock hour of the program, including 
who is Marjorie Taylor Greene, and what are Republicans supposed to do with her? Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. During the break, I was sort of channel surfing, and I was looking at some of the the, the, the major news networks, Fox News and CNNs of the world, and you, you watch some of this stuff, and, and it really does show the East and West Coast bias that you have, because if you watch some of these reports, you would think that they'd never seen snow before in New York City. Now, now, don't get me wrong. This storm that, that hit us yesterday, that was a, a big snowstorm. It, it snowed a lot and for a long period of time. And as I said at the start of the show, it's just another example of how I think we do snow really well around here. The fact that, you know, roads are, are passable. And I understand there might be some alleys that they, the plows haven't gotten to and stuff. But given how much snow we got on top of how much snow we got about a week ago, I, I think the DPW and the, the people responsible all throughout this area have done a very, very good job. Well, New York City is getting whooped. I mean, they're... They're getting whooped, and maybe it's even a little bit more intense than what we got. So I'm willing to concede that. But you would you would think they never saw snow. I mean, I'm looking at all these reports, and, and trust me, if you watch the national news tonight, this is all you're going to see. Huge snowstorm hits Times Square, and the governor declares state of emergency. And, and it's just like, okay. It's a lot of snow, I admit it, but it, but it's just snow. But because it hits New York or because it hits Philadelphia and that's the East Coast, well, that's why this is a big story. Not, hey, we got a bunch of snow in Milwaukee. You get a bunch of snow in Milwaukee or even Chicago, and it's like, all right, let's get the plows out. Let's deal with this. But here, oh, my gosh, it, it's look, it's snowing really hard. And look, the, these cars are spinning, and the taxis can't get people to their workout places and things like that. It's kind of like, okay, um, we under, we maybe those of us who live here and fly over country, maybe you could take some things from us. And, again, if you just want to see the attention of the media, oh, my gosh, this is the biggest story in the world because it affects us, those of us who live here. Bottom line is, get better snow plows. This week's sponsor for Jeff Wagner's Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is All-American Window and Door. They're the experts at making your dreams a reality. You know their number, 262-255-7170. You can also find them at allamericanwindow.com. All right, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Who is Marjorie Taylor Greene? Well, if you follow the state of politics, you know that she's she's the latest person who finds herself, in some respects, deservingly, in the firing line of the cancel culture. Marjorie Taylor Greene is a newly elected congresswoman from Georgia. Marjorie Taylor Greene is also... And I'm going to say this at the risk of offending some of you. She's also a complete and total nut job. She's a kook. And she's elected to Congress. She is a Republican. But she's been one of these she's been one of these nut jobs who's been floating around kind of on the periphery of politics for the last several years. um, Touting things like endorsing QAnon, which is the that that kind of nutty right-wing movement that believes that, you know, Donald Trump was a messiah sent to defeat Satan-worshipping, child-abusing, deep-state villains. 
Um, she's, you know, over the last several years, she's promoted a conspiracy theory that blames the uh, wildfire in California on a space laser controlled by a prominent Jewish banking family. Um, she's suggested that the Obama administration used MS-13, that's the, the South American like gang, henchmen to murder a Democratic National Committee state member. Um, she's floated just She's dabbled in truthism. Um, she's contended that various school shootings were false flag operations. She's she's a kook, and, and if people on the right are upset with that, well, you got to get over it because she she's a kook. People, we there are kooks on the right, just like there are kooks on on the left. She is a kook on the right who has managed to get herself elected to Congress. And it's a whole sort of circuitous story as to how she ended up winning, but but she's there right now. So the question becomes, what, what do you end up doing with her? She's in the firing line from a lot of people on the left who are pointing to her, her craziness. And the more you look into her background and the more you find things that she tweeted out or put up on Facebook a couple years ago, they're, they're in the process of scrubbing this, but the more you find just sort of these, these bizarre things that, again, make it really clear that she's a nut job. That, that's, there's just no nice way to put it. So what's happening is you've got people on the left who are saying, what we need to do is we need to expel her. And what Congress can do with a, a two-thirds vote, you need 67%. With two-thirds, a two-thirds vote, you can you can expel duly elected members of Congress. Now, this almost never happens, and the only time, it, it, as a general rule, it would ever happen would be if somebody was convicted of a crime. You know, you you commit a crime while you're in Congress, while you're elected, and so that gets you expelled. In this case, you'd be expelling her for things she either believes or has said in the past that presumably the electorate knew about at the time they elected her. So, But at the same time, for Republicans, even, I think, the most hardcore conservative Republicans out there look at a lot of this stuff and say, we, you know, we don't want to be identified with a lot of the stuff that this woman has espoused, including not just the crazy ideas, but other stuff that you could argue was racist or was anti-Semitic or, or whatever. So the question becomes, what do you do with somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene? Do you expel her? And my answer would be no. At the same time, do you do something to try to marginalize her? And one of the things that Republicans could do is they could strip her of her committee assignments. You know, the Republicans decide who gets to sit on different committees. And there, there's nothing that says that she has to be, she's on the Education Committee. There's nothing that says that she has to be on the Education Committee. If you wanted to marginalize her, but not toss her out of Congress. Because the scary thing is, with the cancel culture, once you start tossing people out of Congress based on their ideas or their expressions, the question becomes, you know, where does, does it end? You know, and she's already playing kind of the martyr card, saying that um, she's, you know, she she's, they're trying to cancel her, you know, she's part of the cancel culture, and they're trying to come out after her. Where the truth is, she's just so far out there that I don't think anybody really wants to be standing next to her. Now, there are people on the left 
that are whack jobs as well. You know, the, one, the member of the squad, that, that Congresswoman Ileana Omar, she, she, she's a left-wing nut. You know, she's got a history of anti-Semitic statements. She, she's a nut job in perhaps a different vein than Marjorie Taylor Greene is. But, you know, nobody was talking about expelling her for Congress. And last time I checked, she still sits on committees. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should Republicans try to rein this woman in? And the only way you really do that is by marginalizing her. 855-616-1620. I don't think she should be expelled. But I do think it's important when you have members of Congress on the right or on the left who are just so far out there, complete and total whack jobs, I I think for your party to have credibility, unless you want to spend the next two years with the media asking every Republican in Congress, gee, did you just see what Marjorie Taylor Greene tweeted out? Or did you see what we've just found that she posted three or four years ago? What do you think, Mr. Republican Representative or Ms. Republican Representative? Uh, Unless you do something to try to indicate institutionally that you're not on board with this and that you recognize that she's crazy, even if you don't want to come out directly and say she's crazy, but that you recognize she's crazy, you're going to spend nothing but the next two years answering questions about this. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Remember in the movie The Sound of Music, there's this song about, you know, how do you handle a problem like Maria? Well, okay, the Republicans do have an issue. How do you handle a problem like Marjorie Taylor Greene? We discuss in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, do you think the people that voted her in are just as crazy as she is? This is scary that there would be that many people who could be brainwashed into believing this stuff. Get rid of her now. Oh, okay. <laughs> Look, I, I'm the first to tell you. I, I think she's crazy. You know, maybe not in a technical sense, but the, these ideas she espouses are, are crazy. At the same time, she was elected and. For the scary part is, I don't think, you know, if you've got evidence that you committed a crime or something like that, and, and, and that's where you've had expulsions before, corruption, but nobody's saying she's corrupt. We're just saying that, you know, she's got these ideas that are just complete whack job sort of things. To me, what you do is marginalize her. It's not a basis for going in and saying, we're going to remove her, because where, where do you draw the line then? Do we then say, hey, Ilian Omar, she said all these anti Semitic things, she's a nut job, we're going to remove her as well? Isn't that the job for the people? All right, let's start with Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi there. I, uh, Hi, Mike. Totally, I totally would want her to go. There is no need to have people like that making decisions for our country. And to say it's part of the cancel culture, that's a term made up by Trump to hide his misgivings. Don't even go there with that. And if you're comparing her and Omar, oh, my God, if that's the best you can do, you're really hurting she is a disgrace. She's going to end up getting somebody hurt. And we don't need people like that in our government. It's but who gets to decide to that? But, but who, I mean, but who gets do. to decide that? The, the vote, who's we? Who's we? I mean, the, the voters in her district Congress. elected her. Okay, so so, so you want so Congress. You elect somebody and they, okay, yeah. you, you elect somebody and they kill somebody and you say, well, 
Well, the but that's different. That, but no. That, no, but that you. No, but not. if she if she killed, no, You're she hasn't that. killed anybody. She hasn't killed it. She hasn't committed a crime. You commit yeah. a crime, it's a whole different story. Yeah. You're saying that based yeah. on the ideas she's expo- espoused, she should be thrown right. out of Congress. If she is such a nut job, do you have faith yeah. in her making a logical decision for anything that they're voting on? You're talking to no, no. You're talking to somebody who I don't. I mean, I don't understand the thought process of a lot of people who are in Congress. But but the the people that elected them in their districts sent them there. That that's that, is doesn't, that really the matter. standard? Gee, we think this is a crazy decision. We think you should be removed. I no, I, I mean, I, where I do you draw the line? We make, I think it's time we draw the line and say we made a mistake. This person doesn't deserve to be in there, and we have to get rid of her. She, okay, she and, and, but I keep coming back to the we. The, 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 the people oh, is, is cancel culture. No, it's not. It's doing the right thing for the benefit of the American people. She's going to harm people by her. Well, if she harm by her actions. Okay, well that well that yeah, uh, thanks for calling. See that that's where no, but that's see that's where okay that that's where you're looking into your crystal ball and being judgmental about. Oh well, I I know she's going to make the wrong decision, you know. And and, and look, I, I'm not defending her policies. I'm not defending the stuff she says. I'm well, when telling you it's a nut job. But but at the same time, who decides? Who is this we that decides that somebody who's been duly elected, you know, can't continue to serve in, in office? And is, is it is it the majority of Congress? So again, if you look at gee, I, I and and again, I, I'm not trying to draw parallels. But you, you look at, all right, some of the fringe people that are out on the left who, you know, are, are making some of the crazy pronouncements that they make. And it, may, it might pale in comparison to some of the things she's saying. But, I mean, who gets to make that decision? The voters of somebody's district or Congress in general? We, we've decided she's just beyond the pale. Now, I do think Republicans need to step forward and need to say, look, there, you know, we, we can have a legitimate disagreement uh, but but at the same time, all this stuff, this QAnon stuff and, and all the stuff you've been espousing is just flat out crazy. And what I think you have to do is is what they have done, what they did just a couple years ago with the representative from Iowa, Steve King, who was out there peddling all sorts of crazy ideas. Well, they, they stripped him of his committee assignments and he, he sort of lost the platform that he had and he ended up getting defeated in, in a primary. If, if she commits a crime, well, obviously, then then you then you remove her. You've got the basis to do that. I just think it's dangerous for Congress to start deciding here we're going to remove people because we think their ideas are nutty, even though her ideas are nutty. I, I fully agree with that. But yeah, this is an element of the cancel culture. And by the way, Mike, the cancel culture is real. It's not something that was just made up by Donald Trump. The cancel culture is real. It's out there, and it's going after a lot of conservatives, period. Now, including, it's also some liberals have gotten swallowed up in it, too. So there is this real cancel culture that's out there. Now, you might argue that she deserves to be canceled because she's so far beyond the pale. But the cancel culture is coming for all sorts of people, and if you're not part of the progressive, let's toe the line, you you could be somebody that finds yourself caught up in that. I think she needs to be marginalized, but I think you marginalize her by taking away her committee assignments. If you want to censure her, that's what happened to Joseph McCarthy, all right, I'm, I'm open to a thing of censure, although I think the concern with her is you censure 
her, and she will wear that as a badge of, of honor. Say, hey, look, they're, you know, they're, they're trying to, to take me out. Um, look, look at this. Look at what they did. And she'll use that as a basis to try to increase her profile. To me, you want to marginalize her. If you try to remove her from Congress, that makes her a, a martyr. I also don't think that that's, that's appropriate. I want to be removing people from Congress based on the, the things that they espouse. If they're espousing crazy stuff, what I want to do is I want to identify that, and then you want to marginalize them, and then wait for the next election and let the voters do what the voters want to do. In any event, I'll be curious to see how the whole Marjorie Taylor Greene story plays out. But the sooner the Republican Party can distance themselves from her, the better it will be. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. Okay, now I understand why during the start of the pandemic, why you had shortages of of toilet paper because there were people that were afraid that, well, okay, you're going to be trapped in your house for a while and you're not going to be able to get to the store, so you don't want to run out of toilet paper. Now, I don't necessarily understand why people were running out and buying a year's worth of toilet paper because... You know, if if you're really stuck in your home for a year, you've got bigger problems than that. But but people went out and did that, and it and it fed into these shortages because people were hoarding. The same thing was true with hand sanitizer. People were grabbing all the hand sanitizer they could, and again, it it it, it created a shortage on the supply lines. And it wasn't like with toilet paper. It wasn't like there wasn't toilet paper. It was just that we. You know, when it, every time the store would get a shipment of toilet paper, it would it would come in at four in the morning, and by eight in the morning, people would have bought, it, purchased it all, and then there was only so much toilet paper you could get out the next day. It's not like there wasn't toilet paper though. But I at least understand why, with toilet paper or with hand sanitizer or some of the other things, why there was that concern. One of the things that's going through a shortage right now is grape nuts. It, the, the cereal. Grape nuts. Now, the interesting thing about grape nuts cereal is that it's neither grape nor nuts. I mean, even though they call it grape nuts, it's it's not it's not grapes. It's not nuts. The there's all sorts of different stories. I'm looking at their website right now about about how it was named, um, and and 1933, what they did is that they that, that the Post, CW Post, um, apparently there's two different theories. One theory was that they um, they decided to call them grape nuts because they were like like sugar, and so that there were little like nuts. And another thing, another theory is that they looked like grapes. None of them make a whole lot of sense to me. But you know, you know, grape nuts have been around for forever, and some people like them. There is apparently now a huge shortage of grape nuts that are out there. Supply chain constraints and higher demand have led for uh, shortages of this. Apparently, there is a black market that has developed regarding grape nuts. On Amazon, one pack of four boxes, each 29 ounces, was listed for 60 bucks on Friday afternoon. On eBay, a similar pack of two boxes was available for 55 bucks. 
Normally, the suggested retail price is $4.99. So it's a $5 item that was selling on Amazon for, again, 60 bucks for, for four boxes. So you do the math, but you can see how it, it's been driven up. Now, what Post is saying is that the reason that there is a shortage is because what they had to do back when the pandemic started was they had to alter production to try to make sure their more popular brands were were getting produced. And I don't think Grape Nuts was one of the more popular brands. So they slowed down production of Grape Nuts in order to make other sorts of cereal that they ended up, ended up getting out. But now there is a backlog of, of Grape Nuts, and people are out there willing to pay huge, huge amounts of money for the, the cereal. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I think I have had grape nuts a couple times in my life. And I think the first time I was like, boy, these aren't grapes and these aren't nuts. I wonder why they're calling them that. But I, they're, they're barley and wheat and they're, they're toasted. And I guess it's sort of okay. But I, I don't understand the cult following that this cereal apparently has. And I certainly don't understand people who would, I don't know, pay $15 to get a box of cereal that would normally go for 5 bucks. I just flat out don't get it. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The pandemic does really, really weird things to people, and, and I understand it, it creates, again, these supply chain shortages. So if you're somebody who, who likes grape nuts and all of a sudden the store is out of them, well, I understand why you might be somewhat bummed out, but isn't that where you just buy Cheerios or, or something else? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, is there any cereal that's worth paying this kind of money for, much less much less grape nuts? Um, let's see, Jeff. A fool and his money are soon parted. Jeff, Quisp is better. I have not had Quisp in ages. Jeff, Milwaukee dill pickles are also in short supply, but I do not know why. I absolutely love those. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Bill in uh, Manitowoc. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hi. I was just telling you hey, screener there. Um, when I was a child, my dad used to eat grape nut flakes. And then right. I started eating grape nut flakes when I got older. But uh, the grape nuts, I'm not so sure about. But I haven't uh, eaten the grape nut flakes or nuts for quite a while, so... I'm not really sure what the I, thing is going on with I, that. But. I, don't, I don't know anybody who eats grape nut flakes but I, or, or grape nut flakes or the grape nuts themselves. I don't know anybody who does that. I mean, I, I, you know, I go over to friends' house and stuff, and they've got the breakfast cereals. I, I don't think I've ever seen this. I, I wasn't sure anybody did, but apparently there are some people, because they're willing to pay 60 bucks for four boxes, they're willing to pay 15 bucks a box. Don't get it, Bill. Just don't get it. No, that's crazy. Yeah, like I say, it's been several years, but my dad turned me out to that, so I had to call and tell you that. <laughs> Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, they go back. I mean, look, it, 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 they go back. They were in, in World War II. Apparently, they this was one of the things that they served to Marines in the Pacific and stuff because it was a good source of protein or energy or, or whatever, and it was easy to carry and things like that. So, I mean, I, I, I look... I, I understand if you're on Guadalcanal, you know, the mate, and you need something quick to eat. Why you'd want to eat the grape nuts? I'm just saying, in 2021, I just flat 
don't get it. Jeff, um, you wouldn't think someone would pay $9 for cigarettes or 15 bucks to get into a movie, but they, they do. Jeff, grape nuts are a staple in your house. They're great in yogurt parfait with fruit. Um, I, I'm having no problem finding them, so maybe I should black market them. That's from Jim in Indianapolis. Well, Jim, here, here's the deal. If you've got them, pal, I'm telling you, check out eBay, check out Amazon, and look what they're selling for. Um, <laughs> Jeff, the only guy that ate grape nuts, it was Yule Gibbons, right? He was the health person. Remember, he was the pitch man back in the day. I'm not even sure they advertise these things anymore. Jeff, this is from Laura. The only thing I would pay that amount for is wine. <laughs> well, you've you've got that there. Jeff, I didn't even know they still made grape nuts. I did buy them a long time ago. I would put them in my yogurt. Okay, there you go. Jeff, nothing like a shortage of something to allow entrepreneurs to take advantage of the general public. No cereal is worth more than $5 a box. I guess I've just never had that kind of brand loyalty to, to the cereals. I mean, I, I, I'm a Cheerios guy, okay, and, and that's my... That's my my cereal of preference in, in the morning if I'm eating cereal. But okay, if if for some reason they don't have Cheerios, well, there's all sorts of other things that I'm going to be able to eat and I'm going to be perfectly happy for, and I'm not going to run out and pay three times the cost. Jeff, I love grape nuts flakes. I noticed last summer they were not in stores. I figured they stopped producing them because it was not popular. Thanks to this discussion, the stock may go up, but I'm not going to pay black market prices. Yeah, the first shortage, as a matter of fact, was grape nut flakes. And again, what they did is, they, and it makes sense, they, production is limited. You have to start shutting down lines. Maybe you're not, you don't have as many workers or whatever because of COVID at the start of the pandemic. So I'm trying to think of another post-cereal. I don't know if Raisin Brand, let's say Post makes Raisin Brand. Not sure if they do or not. But if Raisin Brand is your number one seller and Great Nut Flakes are your number 20 seller and you've got limited amounts of production, well, you're going to say, okay, well, we want to make sure we satisfy the demand for you know, the Raisin Brand before we worry about Grape Nut Flakes. But it has again, created this demand. Jeff, the shortage of grape nuts may have something to do with its long shelf life. Maybe preppers are buying them out because they think something bad is around the corner. Okay, so life is living in your basement eating grape nut flakes. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Jeff, grape nuts are great warmed up like oatmeal, great for crunchy toppings on yogurt. My wife got the last box at the store over the weekend. Jeff, there's nothing better than grape nuts in a bowl with warm milk and a little sugar. Don't knock it until you've tried it. Uh, 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 uh. Jeff, talk about gouging. 9mm pistol ammunition is going at $70 per box. That is for the cheap stuff. Jeff, just try to find cream soda. I haven't been able to find that for eight months. I do not remember the last time I um, I don't remember the last time that I had uh, cream soda. Jeff, grape nut flake, grape nuts taste great, but they'll break your teeth if you don't let them sit in milk for an hour. Jeff, I used to eat grape nuts hot in wintertime, but that was a long, long time ago. Jeff, if grape nuts was the only cereal in my house, I think I would rather starve. <laughs> Jeff, my dad ate them. Laugh out loud. Could it be due to high fiber? Don't know. All I'm saying is it's the latest shortage that is out there, and there are people whether you want to say exploiting the shortage or whether you want to say it's a free market economy, I'm just telling you, if you're a Great Nuts fan, be prepared to pay through the nose for them. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner.
Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I really do appreciate you spending the last couple hours with me on a cold but sunny Monday afternoon. And again, if you listen to long-term forecasts, I, I'm trying to be I'm trying to be that that optimistic glasses half full guy. Um, it is already February first, and I understand we got lumped twice with big snowfalls last week. And if you look at the long-range forecast, this upcoming weekend we're supposed to get that blast of Arctic cold that some of us have been waiting for. You know all all winter but it it is it is february and even if you get it 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 doesn't last that long or hopefully it doesn't last that long and again february is only four weeks long we're we're already starting to move towards spring so if you like me are not a fan of winter we're, we're we're getting closer to the end even though there'll be some rough spots no question about that okay there I understand nowadays that the thing, if, if there's stuff out there that we don't like, that the immediate reaction is we're going to rush out and protest this. And, and here we're, we're going to take to the streets to complain about this or that or the other. And, and you see it coming from the left and you see it coming from the right. And I regularly denounce some of the craziness that I see coming from the left with some of the different protests that emerge and then some of the, the destruction that, that follows in in, in their wake. Well, the same thing is true of, of the right. And I think, you know, we would all be better off if maybe sometime people just decided to stay home. And, and there's a classic example of that over the weekend. We're, we're doing vaccinations, and, and we all understand that the way the vaccine has rolled out in Wisconsin has been appalling. I've been very critical of Governor Tony Evers. He's had nine or ten months to get a plan in place, and, and they did. And I think that's a fair criticism. But Evers isn't alone. There, there's other governors all over the country um, who've done a lousy job of this. Maybe you can say the federal government did a lousy job. If you want to blame Donald Trump, if you want to blame Joe Biden, even though he's only been in office for a couple weeks, okay, that, that's fine. The vaccine rollout has not necessarily been inspiring at this point in time. So over the weekend, what they decide to do is they're going to open in California, and California has been hit very, very hard by COVID, particularly Southern California. So what they do is they say, okay, we're, what we have, we're going to open up Dodger Stadium. Okay, Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles, we're going to open this up as a COVID-19 vaccination site. And what we're going to do is we're going to allow people to make appointments and they can come and they can get vaccinated. Well, apparently what happened is this was going to be one of the largest vaccination sites in the country. And what happened is they had to close it down because you had 40 to 60 demonstrators that appeared at the stadium and were yelling and screaming about the masks and about COVID being a scam and about the vaccine being dangerous and things like that. And they're out there and they're screaming and they're creating a disturbance. And as a result of this, they've got to shut down the vaccination site to which I'm watching the story unfold over the weekend. And it's like people, you know, really, look, if you have a concern about the vaccine, fine. Don't, don't get the vaccine. I think that's dumb, but if that's the decision you make, go with God. That, that's okay. And if you are upset with the mask mandate, okay, I, I understand that. that. That's fine. You have a right to express yourself. And if you're upset and think that COVID is a scam, whatever that means, okay, that's fine. But when you have people that 
don't agree with you. And you have people that are trying to get vaccinated because they're concerned that if they get COVID, it's going to have a really bad reaction and there's going to be a really bad consequence. Well, my advice would be you, you don't need to go out and act like a jack wagon and try to disrupt the process and stop people who want to get the vaccine from getting the vaccine. If you don't want it, that's fine. All right. And I, I guess the reaction would be more for everybody else. Now, I'd like to try to talk you into getting the vaccine, but if you don't want it, that's fine. But but showing up and trying to shut down an operation where, you know, they're hoping to distribute about 8,000 doses of the vaccine daily. And they came there and they ended up being so disruptive that it had to shut down. And so they, they there are about 2,000 people who otherwise would have been vaccinated weren't able to get vaccinated and i just i look at all this stuff and i say what do you think you are accomplishing with this if you don't want it fine don't take it but don't make it difficult for other people who are struggling who desperately want the vaccine and see that as a way out of this pandemic and a return to normalcy don't be showing up at dodger stadium and yelling and screaming and making a jack wagon of yourself sometimes if you feel the urge to protest my advice would be, just like Nancy Reagan said in the 80s when it came to drugs, when you feel that urge to protest about something stupid, just say no. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.